0: Welcome to the Inspiring Sustainability podcast. Today, I am absolutely delighted to be inviting Pat Harned of the uh, ECI uh, uh, along to join me on this call to discuss about their organization, what they're doing around uh, ethics and other aspects of corporate culture, and also get to know a little bit about Pat. So, hello, Pat.
1: Hello, Adam. Thanks for having me.
0: And um, for all those people out there, um, I am delighted uh, that uh, to be working in partnership with uh, Ethical Performance and 3BL on this, and there will be an article produced, um, which you will see uh, in the the coming weeks uh, online to uh, see that. And so Pat, if you can give me a little bit about yourself and also, tell me about the ECI and just the kind of high level of uh, what you're looking to achieve as an organization.
1: Sure. Well, my name is Pat Harnett. As you mentioned, I'm the chief executive officer of an organization called the Ethics and Compliance Initiative. And we refer to it as the ECI. Um, ECI is a nonprofit organization. It is both a research think tank that endeavors to try to understand what are the things that an organization can do to promote integrity in the workplace. We also have a membership association of about 500 organizations, multinational organizations, government agencies, and nonprofits um, that are all dedicated to trying to establish high-quality ethics or integrity programs. Um, And we also provide certification of practitioners to help ethics and compliance professionals demonstrate that they have the knowledge to be able to build and lead and sustain a high-quality integrity effort. Um, I have been with the organization since 1999. I first came here Um, My background is actually education. I I came to help this organization start a program called Character Development, which was writing curriculum and training for use in schools. Um, But I got more and more involved in the business and corporate outreach of our organization. And over time, it inherited more oversight. And so since 2004, I have been first president and now CEO of the organization. And it's just been a lot of fun. I love this field and um, I'm constantly challenged and always growing.
0: That's great. No, that's great to hear. And let me just give it a little flavor of of past. Tell me one or two things maybe that you do outside of the working environment that you'd, you'd be happy to share.
1: Sure. Well, um, I'm, a, I'm an avid reader. I also, I, about a year ago, um, was really pleased to have a proposal for a book Um, accepted by a publisher. So Mm -hmm. in my spare spare time, I should be writing a book, which Uh I am working on. Um, But I also, you know, I I, once a week, one of the things that I do that I don't talk a whole lot about, but I go down to the hospital that is about a mile from my home. And on Sunday evenings for about three hours, I go to the neonatal intensive care unit and I rock babies that are Mm Um, usually premature babies whose parents can't be there very often and just are in need of the human touch. So it's the most relaxing and nicest thing I do all week. <laughs> wow, that's,
0: that's, so basically on you know on a on, on a Sunday night you're rocking uh, babies and then on a Monday morning you're dealing with. Uh, CEOs and the Department of Justice. Uh,
1: exactly. Exactly. So my official title at the hospital, it's a volunteer role, but I'm a cuddler there. And I, I can't take my cell phone. I can't take my laptop. I just sit in a rocking chair and um, rock back and forth. And its it just sort of helps me to relax and unwind. And then on Monday, I feel like I need to be cuddled because I'm dealing with <laughs> the world of ethics and compliance.
0: I can so you actually got the children in your arms whilst you're rocking them
1: Yes. Wow. So I generally will lift them out of the incubators. They have a lot of wires and tubes and things. A lot of them are very, very small. Um, and, you know, you have to have a lot of training to know how to, to do it without doing harm to them. But the human touch is a powerful thing, and it helps helps babies heal and grow, and that's why they bring in volunteers to do that. So it's I consider it just a real It's a gift to me to be able to do it, and it's nice to know I'm helping people's children a little bit
0: so yeah, that's that's fantastic uh,
1: yeah to
0: hear. and um so well obviously i wasn't expecting that so that's that's <laughs> had some real flavor to it um so something that actually you might be a little bit more uh, almost embarrassed uh I'm, I'm english obviously and uh so so the hugh grant is an example of you know like this deferential english thing but i'm gonna ask you a question about yourself is that in 2014, you were nominated as one of the 100 most influential people in business ethics. So, mm-hmm. just to give a, to help uh, the listeners understand uh, a bit more about you and your professional life, why do you think you might have been recognised in that way?
1: It was. It was. I was really pleased to have made that list. It, what, there's a process by which. An independent panel um, identifies people and reviews nominees, and so so it was just nice to be included among them. I think it was for a couple of reasons. Um, One is that in 2014, my organization had created a strategic alliance between two major nonprofits in the ethics and compliance industry, particularly in the U.S. Um, I had been leading a group called the Ethics Resource Center, which was the think tank research organization. We merged with the Ethics and Compliance Officer Association and really created what we are now, um, which is a best practice and research community for organizations looking to improve their practices. Um, And I also think another reason was that there are not many women in leadership roles in the ethics and compliance industry. And I think that may have helped my cause a little bit, too.
0: Wonderful. Wonderful. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to obviously your insight here as uh, one of those 100 people. Um, And. Something that I'm aware that obviously ECI uh, it's, it was founded in the states and has uh, got a big footprint there. But I understand you do have uh, a footprint which extends globally. So for those listeners outside of the USA, can you just give us a flavour of what you, you that's, that sort of thing as well?
1: Sure. So, um, well, you're right. The the organization that I lead is U.S.-based. It's had its history in the U.S. Um, and, and a lot of the organization itself has paralleled the growth of U.S. regulation and pra- enforcement practices and just best practice in the industry. Um, but that said, we do a fair amount of work with Multinational organizations. Um, We, part of, because we do so much research, we have a lot of benchmarks and data that's very useful for individual organizations when they want to look at. The issues that they're facing on their own um, and have data to compare to. So we do some consulting work, and a lot of times it's with either U.S.-based multinationals and, in some cases, organizations outside the U.S. Um, so we've collected a lot of data from around the world. Just last year, we did our first-ever global business ethics survey, which was a research um, study to try to gauge Trends in ethics and compliance around the world, and that was a 13-country study. And we also partner with a few organizations in in Europe to host a, a conference in Europe, the European Business Ethics Forum, each year. So our, we have some reach around the world, um, and increasingly, of course, as companies are expanding their global footprint, so are we.
0: Mm, yeah, no, absolutely great. So that's. It uh, sounds like a fascinating organization to lead. And um, it's, a, it's a fascinating question, I think, that your organization poses, basically, because, it, I mean, this might seem like an obvious question, but why is corporate culture so important? And obviously, that's something that, you know, ECI can really help answer.
1: Sure. Well, I... It's the kind of thing that doesn't get talked about very much until an organization has big problems. And then on the other side of those problems, in the aftermath, there's always a conversation about what went wrong and how did things become so bad and why didn't somebody raise a flag. Um, Corporate culture ends up being part of the answer to that question. So, Culture is um, where most organizations can point to an organizational chart, um, a governance structure, policies that help to drive the activities of the organization, and even business objectives and other things. Culture is is the thing that ultimately determines what people really do on a daily basis. It's the informal assumptions and directions, the way we really do things around here. And it turns out that culture is far more powerful than any policy or leader in the organization. Um, you know, a lot of people have probably heard the phrase culture trumps compliance. Mm-hmm. And, and that is indeed true that, you know, the, the way people, the way an organization operates is very, very powerful.
0: Yeah, definitely. I actually, uh, interestingly, had uh, the title, which is I, I did some LinkedIn survey. I, I, uh, I was a, a culture change director, um, which was a rather grand title given me by a, um, a consultancy because I focus on that. But my the cultures that I was looking at was slightly different to what you're talking about back then. This was about three years ago, four years ago. But actually… Mm-hmm. Through that process, I absolutely got to understand about how important culture is. What, however, you're looking at it, my focus then was on uh, around how the culture is around environment and what happens uh, on sus- that type aspect of sustainability. Um, mm. But obviously, the, the culture that you're looking at is actually the kind of the, the overarching culture, and in, in a sense, about how the organisation is taking things forward and how. How, it's, how honest it's being with itself, I think, um, and the way, way it does things, as you say, those informed assumptions. Um, now, something that I am curious about as well is, um, obviously, there's different versions of what culture means to people. Um, mm-hmm. So, for the listeners, actually, it might be helpful for them to understand uh, what the, 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 sort of the American law enforcement agencies, such as the U.S. Department of Justice, think about culture itself.
1: Sure. Well, And we have certainly had instances where I've been asked to go and meet with company leaders who are under deferred prosecution agreements or have monitors or other things, administrative agreements with the U.S. enforcement community. Um, I've been asked to go in and talk with them because the, particularly the U.S. enforcement community has this notion of culture, and and it's it's an American notion, although there are elements to it that, that I think are universal. And so we get calls a lot to help us understand what your, your U.S. DOJ is talking about. Um, so, I, generally speaking, culture, as they're communicating it, and maybe even to a larger degree in the U.S. ethics and compliance industry. They're talking about um, the extent to which there's a tone from the top that integrity truly is important to the business, that it's central to the way the company defines what success is. Mm. Um, It's the extent to which management throughout the organization supports a set of common values or a standard for business conduct. Um, It's also the extent to which employees feel pressure to have to compromise their standards to do their jobs. Um, If there are problems, is there an environment where people feel empowered um, and protected for coming forward to report concerns? That's a very big element of it. Um, Another is, you know, is there a willingness to raise bad news to management? Um, And then more importantly and more recently, um, the culture as the enforcement community is also looking at, it pertains to... What kind of incentives do you have in place? Are you incentivizing good conduct or are you incentivizing people cutting corners to get to make the bottom line? Um, so those are some of the things that are generally how culture is defined. It's, it's the very formal communications from the top and then the informal practices that either lead people to uphold a standard or to cut corners.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's a really great summary. Thank you, because I remember actually uh, reading a great uh, expression of this, which is that in business, what gets measured gets managed. And then Mm. what gets also gets measured, will what gets managed will also get gamed. Um, Yes. People will try to play with it. So if you set the system up in a way that's actually going to open itself up for uh, bad gaming, then actually... you're going to have some problems, potentially. And actually, that kind of flows nicely into a a good example of corporate culture failure, uh, the Wells Fargo scandal. Mm
1: -hmm. And so,
0: if you can just kind of, uh, for those that might not be intimately familiar with it, give a quick highlight of what happened and then maybe shed some light on uh, these issues and what what has worked and what not worked in, in remedying this.
1: So, uh, sure. And so, first, I'll just offer a caveat that my knowledge of the Wells Fargo situation comes from newspaper articles, from public information. I don't have oh. further in, insight into what has transpired there. Mm-hmm. But certainly, the the accounting, the, the journalists um, that have written about it have talked about how a Wells Fargo incentive structure to their employees Um, Part of it was that they would be rewarded for opening new accounts. And in doing that, employees over time became um, it became a common practice to open multiple accounts for for customers without the customers knowing about it. Mm. Um, And so so if you the employees that were doing it would get rewarded for having a certain number of accounts they were opening each month and and then they would. Um, you know, but the customers were unaware that they had multiple, sometimes double-digit numbers of accounts that have been opened without their knowledge or consent. Yes, that's um, and that's
0: a challenge yeah. for your bank to be opening up extra accounts for you.
1: And that's a, I mean, that's a very simplistic um, explanation. I think yeah. it's it's far more complex than that. But yeah, generally absolutely. speaking,
0: good, 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 familiar. Yeah. So yeah, just tell me a little bit more about what you understand about. What uh, corrective actions have, have or haven't worked around around this uh, area?
1: You know, another well, so another piece of um, the situation was that apparently there are allegations that employees who were aware of these practices or even engaged in them made efforts to try to come forward to report the problem to management. There are um, stories of employees who have alleged that they were they experienced retaliation for having done so, knew of other people who had been fired. Um, and so, so in a lot of ways the problem perpetuated because people didn't come forward and there was um, I think a sense of helplessness among those employees that they had to, they had to go along or else they wouldn't be able to be employed. Um, so so certainly I, I, we're watching what I think is a, becoming a fairly, a textbook isn't the right word, but kind of a standard um, life cycle of an organization that is going through a scandal itself. So there's... There's the initial um, outburst of the story and the shock by the public and shareholders and you know all the the enforcement community all the people around them. Um, the Department of Justice and a number of federal agencies are engaging in investigations. Um, there's will likely be a lengthy process for. The, the bank to be negotiating and trying to re- resolve the problem from an enforcement perspective. But there are also, I, my understanding is there are lawsuits, civil lawsuits, there are class action lawsuits, there may well be a shareholder suit, it's hard to know. Um, for the company itself, though, um, you know, there's, there's certainly... There's reputational loss. The company has experienced their stories that the company is experiencing a decline in um, its revenues because mm-hmm. customers are skeptical. Um, mm-hmm. I, I would wager that employee morale is down. It's very, and I say that because we have worked with a number of organizations that have gone through this very challenging time. And one of the biggest problems is that the employees who remain feel punished, even yeah. though they may or may not have been a part of it. But they, it's hard to feel pride in your organization when you learn that there's been significant problems that have yeah. happened. So um, I do know, though, that the company itself is very eager to address the problem, to um, establish whatever systems and structures are needed to try to bring about Change and so I do think there are very good, well intended people involved who want to address the situation, learn from it, and make sure it doesn't happen again.
0: Yeah, yeah, great. Well, and uh, obviously, your, your intention is to help organizations and make it so that they don't get into that sort of sticky place, um, right? So, can you give me some examples of uh, the uh, Organizations that you have worked on with business ethics and, and the sort of some little results or big results that you
1: might have achieved with them? Sure. I mean, we've certainly, so we've worked with organizations that have had challenges that have been through some real tough times. We've also worked with a lot of organizations that haven't had scandals or if they did, they were a long, long time ago and they've just over time learned to, to um, be far more proactive in their mm. thinking. So, for example, um, one of the things our organization does is uh, we, we periodically go to um, organizations that are a part of the defense industry, and we, uh, we use the same question set w- to field among employees to gather information about what are the challenges that employees face, what kind of misconduct have they observed, if they observed it, did they report it? Um, And then we we provide comparisons over time. How how have those companies done in improving their culture and reducing misconduct? Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the things that we found is that particularly in organizations like Lockheed Martin, Raytheon, Northrop Grumman, um, some of the bigger defense contractors that have really paid attention and invested in their ethics programs, yeah. their, their employees say they have strong cultures. Mm-hmm. They um, Almost 100% of people are aware that there's a set of standards for business conduct. If there are problems, they're willing to raise them. So we've seen a reduction in the things that companies don't want and an increase in the things that they do over time.
0: So, yeah, tease me that out. Uh, Can you give me some more examples of what they do and don't want?
1: So, um, I think most organizations, one of their biggest concerns, and it's rightly so, is if we are going to experience misconduct, if something is going to go wrong in this company, will we be aware of it? Mm -hmm. Um, so when we've done research over the years, one of the things that we found, um, and, and even I can give you some, some numbers from our most recent global study around, we did a survey of employees across 13 different countries and on average, 33% of workers in for-profit organizations around the world observe some kind of wrongdoing each year. Mm -hmm. And so, so that, Goes. I mean, it stands to reason then that every company out there is going to experience somebody in the organization who's doing something wrong. Mm. And what they they want to know is, will if somebody's aware that another individual is overstepping, will they tell us? Um, and those are the things that when a company invests and develops a good system for communicating their standards of conduct when they provide channels and training to supervisors to help employees come forward, um, they do see strong percentages of people who will report wrongdoing. Mm. Another, another important measure is what percentage of people think they work in an environment where integrity really matters. Um, and when you we work with companies that have really taken that seriously 80 90 percent of employees will say this company has a strong sense of integrity we take our standards seriously
0: mm. that's great actually good examples there thank you and so one of the things that you you've got actually is uh yeah i've had a good look around your website and you've got uh, a huge amount of opportunities for opportunities for engagement with eci in various ways could you give me two or three of your kind of personal favorite tools or services that you offer, and uh, maybe some examples of, of how those have benefited organisations?
1: Sure. So we um, so we have a membership community which is um, intended to be a global community of individuals. Most of them have some sort of oversight for. The integrity and compliance program, the name will often vary depending upon the industry and sometimes the geography. Um, But our membership community, it's both uh, an opportunity to come to some programs and events to participate in webcasts, but also to get access to a very large library of research studies that we've done over the years. So so our organization has been doing research on what really matters in creating a strong culture and promoting integrity since 1994. I think we have about 2,000 different research studies, and they're all available to any of our members. In In particular, we have a program called the fellows program, which is really meant for senior ethics and compliance practitioners, very senior business leaders, and they look at emerging issues that will um, challenge integrity in organizations, things like the use of big data or how do you truly measure your ethics and compliance risks. How do you understand the mindset of the C-suite? Those kinds of things. Um, So that's probably the most accessible um, and one of my most favorite ways for people to be involved with us. But we also do provide, um, we will often go in and do culture assessments for organizations because we have so much data and benchmarks. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, too, is a very useful effort. For an organization that wants to know where do we put our resources um, in terms of improving integrity, it's a very good first step. It also helps you to show progress along the way.
0: Yeah, I think that's better. People are really, because sometimes organizations might genuinely feel they have an okay culture, but they kind of know that maybe something's wrong. But it's if if you're the fish in the water, you don't know you're in the water. Um, so how how do you see outside of it? So this is like uh, the benchmarks are like oh, you can see the other goldfish bowls and you can see how murky or not they might be. Um,
1: yes, and I think it's also fair to say that most of us, when we think about the culture of our organization, we think about it as one big thing, mm. and in reality, it's the sum of a lot of subcultures, and so. Often, if an organization asks its employees about its culture and where problems are happening and what, how they get resolved, you can actually map an organization by um, employees' discussion about the strength of the culture, their evaluation of their own supervisor, and how much misconduct is happening. So you start to see hot spots where people feel pressure to cut corners. They struggle with their supervisor. They're also seeing more misconduct. Um, so, it, and that's where those assessments become very helpful because it helps you to get a good sense of where do we need to do more training versus less? It's a good way to gauge your resource use.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, that's, that's uh, very important. Okay, great stuff. Well, I, I think it's been really interesting kind of like uh, run through the sort of areas um, where our corporate culture is so important, and how okay. obviously uh, ECI can help with that. So I've been uh, delighted to to listen to this. So uh, uh, start to wrap up uh, the conversation. But have you got like maybe uh, one thing that you'd like to leave as a as a final thought uh, for the listeners uh, from yourself, Pat?
1: I would say, you know, after being in this field for 20 years, I've really come to understand that the most important thing that an organization needs to be knowing about itself and monitoring is how willing people are to come forward and report wrongdoing. If they, if they don't feel they're in an environment where they can um, raise concerns, then you have big, big corporate risks. So that, that's probably the best piece of advice I can offer.
0: Wonderful. Thank you. That's a a great point to finish on. So this is Adam Woodhull thanking uh, Pat uh, Harnett uh, from the ECI for uh, your fantastic contribution there. Thank you, Pat.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it.
0: And so this is Adam Woodhull on the Inspiring Sustainability podcast. uh, You can find more podcasts of this ilk uh, on my website, inspiring-sustainability.com you can also search on uh, your favourite podcast app on your smartphone and you can find me, Adam Woodall on various social media platforms such as Twitter and LinkedIn if you want to uh, engage with me somewhat so this is Adam signing off from the Inspiring Sustainability Podcast look forward to uh, uh, inviting you to the next one which will be coming soon thank you